So we've been in this series that is titled Potholes of Life. And this series has been going on. This is actually the fifth part of the current season of Potholes of Life. Uh, I, I want to say this is probably message 11 or 12 of these different potholes. And if you, if you haven't heard what they are, I've defined a pothole of life as a depression on the road of life that has causes or causes hurts, wounds, and pain in us or others around us, right? If you're driving around the city in your car, we hit potholes sometimes. I don't know about you, but sometimes the worst ones are when they're full of water, so you couldn't even tell. You just thought it was a little puddle. You couldn't tell how deep it was, and all of a sudden, it's like boom, boom. And, and, it, and it can disalign your car. And in life, there's these different potholes, these things that we hit that can disalign us from what's God's best for us. And today I want to talk about one that can, man, swallow us whole. And it's this. It's the pothole of negativity. The pothole of negativity. Now, for you theologians in the room and watching online who are right now searching the word negativity in the Bible, actually the word negativity does not show up in the Bible at all. It's not even there. The word negative does not show up in the Bible. But you know what does is all the inverse that tells us how to align ourselves in faith with God. And I'm going to give you about a minute to think about some negative people in your life. Five seconds, all right. How many of you have some people in your life that you know are just truly negative? I mean, everything, right? Some of these things might show you a little bit. This is some traits in negative people. Are you ready? They're always complaining. They have a negative view of the world. They expect the worst from life. They're always victims. They have thin skin and are easily insulted. Anybody, anybody like that? They are never upbeat or positive. They are a source of constant complaints. <laughs> Everyone else is always wrong because they're always right. They have bad reputations because of their attitudes. They are rarely loving. They love to dwell on bad news. They use the word but a whole lot. They achieve little in life. These are characteristics of negative people, right? They can suck the energy and optimism out of you. As a matter of fact, little side note, there's an amazing book written by John Gordon that is called The Energy Bus. I recommend you buy it. It's an easy book to read, or you can get it on Audible and listen to it. But he describes them as, as energy vampires who just suck the energy out of you, okay? Even when presented with good news, they find some way to look at it negatively, Anybody know anybody like that? All right, good. I gave you your minute. Now I want to talk about it when we do it. See, it's so easy to point negativity in people, but man, we are wired 
to see the negative. As humans, and actually if you look up psychology reports, you will see how they, psychologists, will tell you people are programmed to see the negative. We will by far focus on what's wrong over everything we have, especially when we've gone through stuff in life and people have let us down. Have you ever been let down by someone? So what happens, you, you, you give or set up low expectations because if you have low expectations, you can't be disappointed. And we start viewing life through this negative mindset and we walk into this pothole of negativity. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus in John 16, said something crucial. It's going to come up on the screen. You can read it. You can read the whole chapter later. But look what he says in John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. What is Jesus telling us? You're going to deal with negative stuff in the world. But that negative stuff doesn't need to define you. As a matter of fact, I don't know how many of you like sports, but regardless of whatever sport you like, watch or play, how many of you know that only one team ends with the championship? Only one. Everybody else ends in some type of defeat. Negative things will happen. It is a part of life. Negativity is when you expect it always to go wrong. So I wrote it this way. Negative stuff happens, okay? Negative outcomes happen. Negativity expects them. Negative outcomes happen. Negativity expects them. And what is the definition of negativity the definition of negativity, and it was there, thank you, a tendency to be downbeat, disagreeable, and skeptical, a pessimistic attitude that always expects the worst. And again, we as humans have this tendency to wait for the other shoe to drop. Right? Have you ever heard that expression? Oh, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Right? Everything is going well, so you're like, oh, what? when's it going to happen? I know every time things are going well, something always happens. Anybody ever just said stuff like that? Again, that's why I told you, we found it in everybody. But it affects us too. And so I want to talk about some of these things in us and then how we fight it. Now, three things that I want you to jot down, understand, and know about negativity. How do you identify it? How, how do you know that it is a negative thought? Well, negativity finds fault. It is a fault finder. Negativity is always finding what is wrong with the plan, with the idea, what is wrong with what's taking place. I think it was Albert Einstein that said, a negative person will find fault with every solution. Something along those lines. A negative person will find fault with every solution. Negativity finds fault. What's missing? What's broken? I remember at one point in time, 
uh, when Patty and I first like started dating and stuff like that, she would call me bubble burster. Because any idea and any type of stuff, I always found why it wouldn't work. Like I could, I could pinpoint where the flaw was. She's like, you're just bursting the bubble. And you know what? That's not a good thing to be. It's not good to be the bubble burster. But sometimes we allow that to be the tendency in us to find everything that could go wrong and expect it to go wrong. But when that thought comes, we need to push it to the side. You know, the children of Israel were negative people. We see them finding fault in every situation when they went out into the wilderness, right? Like they're, as they're slaves in Egypt, they're asking for deliverance. God delivers them with a mighty hand, gives them manna from heaven, gives them quails, giving them everything. And they're like, oh, what did you bring us out here for to die? Look how hot it is. Oh, we have this manna, we have this thing, but in Egypt we had garlic and leeks and onions, and in Egypt we had this, and we had all of that. Like, they were just finding fault with every single thing. And so that is an indicator in our lives. If you are at a point where in everything you're finding what's wrong, missing, or broken, that should be a red flag. Lord, I need to deal with this negativity in me. Again, this is a pothood, affects us all. Here's another idea or thought that we need to, or identifies it. Negativity casts doubt. Negativity casts doubt, right? Part of the definition is a tendency to be skeptical. Again, this happens because people have let us down at times. And because people let us down, we expect everybody else to let us down. So we have a plan A, B, C, and D, just in case A, B, and C mess up, D's always there. Or then we say, hey, if you want to run and run right, I just got to do it myself. Nobody's going to do it like I do. It casts doubt. And now when you're talking about negativity casting doubt, I need you to understand because this one is crucial because negativity casts doubt, negativity saps faith. It saps it takes the energy out of, it withdraws, it kills your faith. If you weren't aware, doubt is the opposite of faith. Look at what Jesus teaches us. He says it in two parts, but I'm, I'm going to read two of these verses to you. One of them is in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, verse 21, Jesus says that if anybody, okay, says, if, should I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, right? He didn't say, if you have faith, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree. This is when he cursed the fig tree and the fig tree withers and dies, right? He says, if you have faith and do not doubt, it'll happen. Well, what's the problem? Many of us say we're walking in faith, but we're full of negative thoughts which cast doubt and doubt saps your faith, so we never walk into the fullness of what God has for us because of the negative thought. This affects us all. So Jesus, again, he says, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. You see it similarly, he describes it in the book of Mark, chapter 11. 
Mark 11, 23. Again, he's talking the, the, the same passage, the same type of situation. He says, Surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt where? In the heart. Because the doubt, the thought, will creep into a belief. So if you say it and do not doubt in the heart, but believes those things, he says, will be done. He will have whatever he says. You know, these people, Tony Robbins and all these you know, self-help gurus that do all these things, and they talk to you about positive thinking, and they talk to you about manifesting things into existence, and they talk about all these different things. Listen, all of that has been jacked out of the Bible because God has told us that in faith, you get that which you are believing for that you do not yet see. He says there's power in your tongue. That's in the Bible. There is power in what you say, which is as important for us to declare things over our children because what we declare over our children has power. What you declare over a circumstance, over a situation, what you declare over your economy. Listen, right now, it is very easy to declare all the things that are happening in our economy and inflation. You know what I choose to declare? The Bible promises me that my God is my provider and that he rebukes the hand of the devourer for those who are tithers. So guess what? No matter what the gas price is, God's going to provide for me. That's what I'm going to declare. But if I continue to operate in the negative thought process, I'm going to walk online campus. Watch, I'm locked to you as well. I'm going to walk straight into the negative outcome. It becomes what people call a self-fulfilling prophecy. That's a term in education. That's also a term in psychology. And what is a self-fulfilling prophecy? It's that what you think is going to happen about yourself, you're going to do. If you expect your student to fail the test, they will. If you expect them to misbehave, they're going to. If you expect whatever you put there as an expectation, that's what's going to happen. Negativity saps our faith, takes it away. So when we see these things, these flares, these thoughts that come into our life, how should we respond? And that's, this is where it gets good now, all right? First thing is we should ask this question. What does God say about this? When the thought comes in about the situation that you are facing, because we're going to face stuff, what does God say about this situation? What does God say about this circumstance? What does God say about this report? What does God say about this that I am facing? What does God say about my marriage? What does God say about my children? What does God say about uh, my finances? What does God say about my diagnosis? What does God say? That should be the first question we ask when the thought comes in. The second question we should ask is this. What does God say about me? What does God say about me? Do you know why this one is separate but very, very important? Because we're our worst critics. We never think we're able. We never think we're good enough. We always think we're disqualified. We always want to be able to go back in time and fix the things that we did. But you know what God says about you? He says you're the apple of his eye. 
Do you know what God says about you? That as far as the east is from the west, he has cast your sins away. Do you know what God says about you? That you are the head and not the tail. Do you know what God says about you? That he's got you in the palm of his hand. Do you know what God says about you? That his mercies are new every morning. No matter what you've done, where you've been, or what you've gone through, God is there and he sees you in that light. So what does God say about me? In this circumstance, what does he say about me? The world may say I have no purpose. God says that before I was in my mother's womb, he knew me. The world might say that I am X, Y, or Z, but God says that I know the thoughts that I think towards you. God thinks about you. Can you let that sink in for a second? The creator of the universe thinks about me. Man, if that doesn't boost your confidence, I don't know what will. You're in his thoughts. It's why he sent Jesus. Because you were in his thoughts. Because he knew that we would mess up. He sent his son to pay the price for us. So these are two questions that we need to ask ourselves when these negative thoughts come. Again, negative outcomes are going to happen. But we don't need to expect them. We change and we shift it. We renew our mind and our understanding. So how do we combat it? We ask these questions, and here's a key. This, this one is key. Put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of God. So let's break down the armor of God for a minute. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. And we're going to read the armor, starting in verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter number 6. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Like, I think that one right there in and of itself is so crucial, right? Like, your strength is not of your own. This is why the question, what does God say about me is? Because that's where our strength comes from, in what God says. Not what the world says. What does God say? Verse number 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. What is the word that pops out to me as one of the most important words in that whole verse? The word whole. He didn't say put on the armor of God. No, no, no. Put on the whole armor of God. The whole armor. Our girls have been taught since the moment that they could somewhat dress themselves that Perez girls always wear bows, headbands. They always have to have something. This is my oldest daughter up here in the front. She just became a middle schooler, so she's now part of regular service. And we'll ask them all the time, you guys ready to go? Yeah, yeah, we're ready. And they'll walk out and I was like, Abigail, where's your bow? Where's your headband? Do I have to you, right? Like, you're not fully dressed until you are from your head to your toes. Put on the 
whole armor of God. Why? To be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles is a fancy word for schemes, his game plan. What is the devil's game plan? The Bible said Jesus tells us the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. And guess what? If he destroys it as a thought of negativity in your head, he's got you. And you can't accomplish what God has for you. So the whole armor. Now it continues saying, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. How many of you know that we're in a massive dogfight in the spirit? With what culture says that we're supposed to be or do or act. And that's what Paul is writing it thousands of years ago. And he writes, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age. Against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Then he says, therefore, take up the, again, whole armor of God. The whole armor of God. Can you say it this morning? Whole. whole. Online campus, put it in the comment box. Whole. Take on the whole armor of God. Why? To be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. Stand therefore. Now let's look at what the armor, what is parts of the armor? Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Let's talk about truth for a second. World system, culture right now tells everybody, live out your truth. God says, you'll withstand the enemy's attacks if you hold it all together with my truth, his truth. Can I tell you that God's truth doesn't change? His commands do not change. What was sin when he created the earth and sin entered, what was sin then and was written in the law is sin today. It doesn't change because culture says it. It's still wrong. That is the truth. Then he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You are not righteous in righteousness because of who you are. You are made righteous because of the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary when you accept him to be your Lord and Savior, and you are made righteous in him. He is Jehovah Sitkanu, your righteousness. So put on the righteousness, what's protecting your heart. Then he says in verse number 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Right? You're not fully dressed until your shoes are on. Right, Abigail? All school year long. I'm ready to go. All right, we're loading the car. Wait, I got to put my shoes on. And my, what, what would I tell you? Every single day, I was like, when you go out of your room, when you're dressed in the morning, you're not ready until you have your shoes on. Can I tell you? 
you're not ready to go into the world, into the place where you need to be if you don't have the gospel of peace on your feet. You're called to be a peacemaker. You're called to bring peace to the place where you go. You're called to be the one that when you walk in, everything settles down because it's part of the armor. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Shield of faith. My four-year-old Samantha, she came home a few weeks ago and she just kept saying, Dad, do you know the devil shoots fiery darts at us? And I need the armor to protect me. The shield of faith, her, her, her preschool teacher, Ms. Garner, has, I mean, she's gifted by God in how to break down these concepts to four-year-olds. And she even told her teacher, the teacher told me, she was like, Samantha, she, she, she came to me, she says, Ms. Garner, I already knew this because they told, taught it to me at church, but thank you for teaching it to me again. The shield of faith. What does negativity do? It saps your faith. You need the shield of faith. And then, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. From your feet with peace, the truth in your belt, the breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith to quench the fire of your darts. But don't forget the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying always in all prayer and supplications with thanksgiving. It's verse number 18. Praying always. Being watchful to this end. Why do we need to be watchful? Because the enemy will creep up very stealthily. Got to be paying attention. Where is he coming by? Is this thought a negative thought? Pass it away. This, uh, nope, nope. That, that, the, the devil, nope. That's not who I am. What does God say about me? Every morning you activate, God, I am walking in the whole armor. I am putting on your truth. The breastplate of righteousness, I'm taking the shield of faith. I am putting on the helmet of salvation. I am grabbing the sword of the spirit. I am ready to go into the battle that is not a fleshly battle. So how do we combat negativity? You put on the whole armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God. How do you combat negativity? Meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. Have you ever heard anybody say this expression, you are what you eat? Have you heard that expression? It's probably better to be stated that you are what you think. Because where your mind goes, you go. If you think you can't, you won't. If you think you are unable to, guess what? That's what's going to happen. You are what you think. So what are we supposed to think about, meditate on, on the word? Right now, society 
tells you this whole thing. And, and actually, when I was doing research for this and I was reading some stuff of psychology and different things of the nature, they tell you that one of the ways, listen to this, watch now, look at the lie of the enemy. One of the ways that you combat negativity is through meditation and mindfulness. What does meditation and mindfulness say? It says to clear your mind and think of nothing. Think of the cat meowing in a corner. Stuff like that. But you know what the scripture says? You're supposed to meditate on the word of God. Meditate on the word of God. Psalms chapter 1. Go to Psalm 1. I say it all the time. If you can't back it up with the word of God, there's a problem. You got to be able to back it up with scripture. Verse number 1, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. I mean, just look at that. That is a, we, we can do a whole preaching on that right there. Who are you walking with? Who are you standing with? And what path are you on? Because that's going to determine if you're walking in the blessing or not. Then he says in verse number two, right? But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, he meditates day and night. Can I tell you what the word meditates mean? To ponder, to think about. As a matter of fact, when you look at the original language of that word meditate, it's to kind of like say it to yourself under your breath. If you ever see, it, 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 you might see it in movies or if you know someone from the Jewish faith and culture, you might find them sometimes like rocking back and forth and declaring scripture and you think, like, oh, this person's crazy. No, they're actually just meditating on what the word of God said, on what the Torah said, and they're actually saying it over and over. They're meditating on it. They're not just... I can do all things. I am more than a conqueror. I... I they are meditating on it. We need to meditate on the word of God. But you know what happens? We tend to let our mind wander through the thought of negativity and we just ruminate on everything we're missing and everything we're lacking on everything that could go wrong. But we gotta combat it. And we combat it by putting on the armor. We combat it by meditating on the word of God. And look at the effect of this. In verse number three, it says, he shall be like a planted, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Though that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. I planted three palm trees in my backyard two years ago. In about eight years, I'll be able to hang a hammock. <laughs> they take time. I planted them from a coconut. Two of them my dad prepared, like uh, from his palm tree, coconut tree, uh, at his house. And, and he got two of the coconuts, and, and he put them, and he put them in the soil, and he got them ready. And, and once they sprouted and, and were about maybe a foot high, a foot and a half, he gave them to me. I dug a hole. I put them in the ground. 
Then I found a floating coconut in my lake that had sprouted. And I pulled it out of the lake, and I planted that one too. As a matter of fact, last Saturday, I pulled another one out of the lake, and I'm going to plant it this week. Now, these three palm trees that I have planted, one is here. One is about here. That's the one where the, palm, the, the hammock's going to go. And then one is around here. Now, it's interesting. They've all been taken care of the same. And these two are growing a little faster than the one that's about six feet back. And the reason is this. These two are six feet closer to my lake. So these roots on these have gotten to the source of water faster. So they're growing faster. If you meditate on the word of God day and night, you are like the tree planted by the living water who will grow in its season, who will give fruit in its season, whose leaves do not wither. Why? You're connected to the source. So where are we planted? Right now, one of the biggest situations in the body of Christ is unplanted Christians. Let me define for you an unplanted Christian. The Christian who says, I don't need to be connected or submitted to a church structure. I don't need it. Yes, you do. For accountability, for relation, and community, we need it. But right now, because technology has advanced so far, and it's easy to connect to any pastor on the face of the earth, we are being pseudo-pastored, faux-pastored, if you will, because there's no real relation. You know who the pastor is. You see their two-minute video on Instagram, and you hoop and holler while you watch it, like it, and share it. But there's nobody from that church that calls you out on your crap. Why? Because you're not connected. And it's why we have so many Christians right now that are allowing culture to dictate what they believe instead of what the word of God says. You know why? They're missing the belt of truth. It's part of what we need to pray for. That people root themselves to have accountability because it's necessary. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. So how do we combat negativity? Okay, we ask ourselves the question, what does God say about this? What does God say about me? You put on the whole armor of God. You meditate on the word, and this one here is crucial. Are you ready? You filter the thought through Philippians 4.8. Filter the thought through Philippians 4.8. Now, Philippians 4.8 is a verse that I think every believer should know by memory. Like, I would challenge you, if you don't know this verse word for word by memory, learn it. Start working on it this week. 
because we filter the thoughts by this. Look what Paul wrote here. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if anything praiseworthy, meditate on this. Have you ever built a sandcastle or played in the sand with your kids or, or whatever? There, there's this round like toy that looks like a, it's a plastic net really is what it is, right? And you get it and you, and, and you buckle up and you, you pick up sand and then you run water through it and you kind of shake it to like sift it so that the sand and the water go through and only the shells remain. Perhaps you've been in Tennessee and they, they have those things or at the fair and, and you're looking for rocks and you get this bag of dirt, right, and sand and you put it in the little machine running through the water, right? And the water is pushing away the debris and you only stay in your hand with those stones or those rocks, those gems, and everything else goes away. This verse is the sifting. When the thought comes in, you sift it by the word of God and ask, okay, is it true? All right, I'm going to keep it then. Is it noble? Is this just? Is this praiseworthy? And as you sift out the garbage thoughts, what remains is what's true, noble, pure, praiseworthy, just. Those are the things that then you meditate on, think about. That'll change your life. Negative thoughts come. Happens to me all the time. As a matter of fact, one of the main things that my pastor talks to me all the time is when he catches me being negative about stuff. And he will call me out on it. David, your speech is, you're just pointing out everything that's not working at 3W right now. Being real. Thank you, pastor. You're right. You know what? The presence of God was there. That's a win. You know what? This happened. That happened. Before you know it, you've got so many things that are taking on that those negative thoughts, they're not there anymore. But we have the tendency to focus on the negative. But what does the Bible say? Watch. He says that he renews your mind. Amen. Says that you can take every thought captive to the obedience of the word of God. All of these promises from God is what you filter through. And that's what you think on. That's what you meditate on. And that's how we fight the negative thoughts that come. Because again, as I said at the beginning, negative outcomes happen. Negativity is when you expect them. So what is the shift that needs to happen in the believer? I don't expect the problem. I expect the miracle. I don't believe that everything that happens is because my life is horrible. I believe that is God's hand is upon me and if he brought me to this place, he's going to see me through to the other side. I believe the fact that I am the head and not the tail, that I shall live and not die to declare the glories of the Lord. I believe what God has said about me. This is part of the key reasons why we need to read the word of God daily. Because when you read the word, you are able to filter 
what God says about you. And when you filter what God says about you, your mind shifts and you focus back on him. So yes, negative thoughts come. Filter them. Put on the armor. Knowing that what God says about you, that is truth. Let's stand to our feet. Father, this morning, I know that many of us have been convicted of our own negative thought patterns. Father, many of us can point out those lies that the devil tries to say about us because of our past, because of things that we could have done better. But Father, we choose today to think about what you say about us. Father, even this morning, together, we declare it, we put on the armor. Father, we take on your truth as the belt that holds everything together. The breastplate of righteousness that covers our hearts. Father, we take on the shield of faith. Father, we grab the sword of the Spirit. Father, we declare, we put on the shoes with the preparation of the gospel of peace and everywhere we, we walk into, we will be peacemakers. Father, we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb and we put on the helmet of that salvation to be able to block off all of these enemies' darts and thoughts. And Lord, we declare it. We will pronounce and say what the Word of God says. That is our weapon of choice, our sword, which you told us cuts sharper than any double-edged sword. And Father, we declare negative thoughts will not reign in our minds, for we have the mind of Christ. Father, we declare we will filter the thoughts by what you say, and we will meditate on what you say in Jesus' name.